More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. We talk about movies a fair amount on the show. And there's one that uh, that comes to mind a little bit these days when I'm seeing. I was just up in uh, up in New York with family, and so I was in Midtown where I spend most of my time. I was in the uh, iHeart studio there and then walking around the streets. Very crowded, a lot of tourists on the streets these days, which is good to see. But also people a bit anxious concerns out there about how safe it is certainly about how safe it is on the subway which makes perfect sense given the realities of the new york city subway but i mentioned and i'll get into that in a second i mentioned movies you know clay there was this movie back in 1974 i used to watch all the action movies right if it was an action movie made in the 70s 80s or the 90s i was pretty much on board so i celebrated not just schwarzenegger and Stallone, the two greats of the genre, but even Dolph Lundgren, Van Damme, Charles Bronson. I mean, go down the list, like Chuck Norris, obviously. I, I can't name them all right now, but I saw them all, man. And I saw the ones with numerals after the movie titles where it was not exactly a critical or audience hit. I just kept seeing all these different action movies. Death Wish came out in 1974. Death Wish was about, uh, it was a Charles Bronson movie. It did well, and there were uh, there were f- uh, five of them, and then they made a remake in 2018. But it was about a decaying, unsafe New York City where this guy, an architect living in New York City, has street punks constantly, you know, menacing everyone. And then eventually they they go after and they harm and assault and and do terrible things to his family. And he's just like, I've had enough. And he goes out there and he's a vigilante. It was a very popular movie. Why was it a popular movie? Well, okay, you could say it was action, good guys, bad guys. But it also resonated because the New York City, my dad went to Columbia University in New York City, uh, graduated in 69, and then you know lived in New York for years trying to make his way in the, in the world of finance. He tells stories about what it was like in the 70s. You had the subways covered, all of them covered in graffiti, broken windows all over the place, broken windows, policing we get from just fixing that issue 
And people had just had enough. And I'm telling you, we're, we're reaching a point now where New York, for some people, is starting to feel like it is trending back in that direction. I know they're going to say the numbers aren't as bad as they were in even the 90s was actually the worst. People forget that. The 70s, it looked really bad, but the 90s was when you had the most violent crime in New York and a lot of other cities. 1990, I believe, was the high mark. 2,200 murders, right? How do you get to a place where you have 2,200 murders in New York City? Well, I could point you to the latest from the district attorney in the city of New York, where he's just essentially decided, Clay, to stop enforcing the law. The district attorney, Alvin Bragg, in a lot of cases, not in all cases, he has downgraded 52% of felony cases to misdemeanors. Half of the felonies that come before him, he makes effectively a nothing. He treats it like a nothing burger. Um, He wins a conviction 51% of the time. That is, just so everyone understands, federal in federal criminal court, your your chance of getting convicted, you're about basically 97% of them are convictions, 98% are convictions, 51% convictions. And this is um, between 2013 and 2020, downgraded cases by Cyrus Vance never once exceeded even 40%. So crime is going up. The District Attorney of New York is treating crime less seriously and letting more people get away with it. This is what happens. This is why people start becoming crazy about not wanting to go on the subways and why vigilantes may even pop up in the future. I saw that they said subway crime was up 40% in the last year, which is a pretty massive increase. And unfortunately, what's going on right now is you are seeding the, uh, the, the cities and states for elevated rates of crime going forward because you are not enforcing the law. Everybody looks around. This was the broken windows theory of policing, Buck, and the idea, which has been proven correct in many different respects, was low-level offenses. Because you can understand if you're out there and you're saying, why are the police you know, arresting somebody for a relatively minor offense, right? Um, and, and when there's all these other more serious things going on, is that they're all connected. And when you see a community that allows violence and allows crime to occur, you are more likely yourself to perpetrate violence in the same way that when you see one broken window, you're more likely to pick up a rock and throw another broken window. And that feeds on itself. And what right now I think what we're seeing, Buck, is the feeding on itself aspect of low crime policies. And we're going to have to go back. And I'm curious how long it's going to take until we get there to an era when it's so widespread, the violence. Because if you'll remember, in 1994, when the crime bill was passed, things were so bad that Democrats and Republicans both agreed that crime was out of control and something had to be done about it. And ironically, even though he now rejects it, the one thing that Joe Biden might have gotten right in his political career was supporting that 1994 crime bill. Some Democrats tend to be moderate, tend to be the sane element of the Democrat Party, are now recognizing, hey, we failed on crime. It's time to address this. But a lot of them are still saying what you said at the beginning. Oh, look at the data. It's been far worse before. Well, yeah, that's true. But that doesn't mean it can't get worse rapidly in short order. And what we've never seen before is this rapid of an escalation in violent crime if you go back and compare it to 2019. And New York City is a great article Uh, about the election buck saying that we we talked about how 
Uh, I think I read it in the, the New York Times this weekend, the Sunday edition. Long Island in particular, where I know we have a lot of people listening, basically had a monstrous red wave that they flipped several congressional districts that Biden won by double digits to the Republican Party. Crime is visceral in New York City in a way that maybe it's not as visceral in other parts of the country. But just it's worth, I think, everyone understanding that the, the mindset of your average Democrat voting in New York City and in Los Angeles is at this point, because everyone knows that you go into drugstores, and I mean in in the most populous neighborhoods, not not in the high crime neighborhoods. That's been the case for a long time. I'm talking about Midtown Manhattan. I'm talking about Santa Monica in Los Angeles. I'm talking yeah. about the West Side in uh, in Los Angeles, closer to the ocean, where you have a lot of fancy fancier neighborhoods, and things are on lockdown. And there are people living in tent cities in the streets. You know, G- Governor Gavin Newsom, who says he's not running for president, Clay. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. He said Maybe. no matter what what Biden does, he's not running for yeah. president. Now, this guy is a world-class liar, so uh, it, it, you know I don't give him any credence here whatsoever, but it is interesting that he put it out publicly. But the you know the, the, there's a lot of ways to calculate crime and a lot of ways to understand how it affects people in their day-to-day lives. Uh, the homelessness situation, which is absolutely tied into... Uh, the problems of petty larceny and drug overdoses and drug dealing and a whole range of issues. But the homeless situation in California, where they have more homeless people than any other state in the entire country, has turned into all this finger pointing among Democrats because they know it's a problem. So what happens is Gavin Newsom says to the mayor of San Francisco, uh, London Breed says the mayor of of Los Angeles, etc. Go down all these. There are so many cities, actually, in the state of California. You have to fix the homelessness problem or else we're going to start holding back funds from you. This is what this is what is now. This is the latest on this. And they're saying, well, if you if you hold back state funds, the problem is going to get even worse. And no one's actually fixing anything. They're just pointing fingers of blame to say it's not my fault. I need more of this or they need more of that or whatever the case may be. But what we saw, unfortunately, this election is for a lot of Democrats, the possibility of somebody you know, uh, attacking you on your way home, ransacking your store, throw, you know, all matter of the, of crimes, all manner of crimes. I mean, even in New York, Clay, I think I've had in the last six months, I had four times someone came off to me, demanded money. I ignored them. They start cursing at me, threatening to stab me or whatever. This is just life in New York City in Midtown. That's going on. The Democrat mindset, which is completely reinforced by the lib media, by the New York Times, by CNN is, that's a small price to pay for defending our democracy. This is the propaganda, unfortunately. People are suffering, businesses are being destroyed, people are being murdered, raped, robbed, assaulted, and Democrats want you to worry more about Trump. And they're, and they're, they're so blinded, and they're so propagandized uh, to at this point that that actually worked enough. And that's what's really sad. Yeah, and, and I think that's a big picture question for all of 2023 which everyone listening to us is going to have to analyze in some form or fashion as the 2024 election which we told you would effectively start the day after the 2022 election was over you're going to have to analyze that for trump is the branding of trump so effective when it comes to independence that he's almost unable to win a nationwide election Or 
do you believe that uh, that he can still get it done? Again, I, I, I think it's such an interesting question, and that is, you know, give him credit, even though it's not deserved and even though it's unfair, the Democrat Party basically aligned behind, so did Washington Post, New York Times, MSNBC, and CNN, something that is a lie, which is Donald Trump is the biggest threat to American democracy in the world. I mean, that, that's basically what they are saying. And enough people have bought it that it's very hard to convince people that that's not true. Yeah, unfortunately, the Democrats, the voting Democrats went along with that, um, and they would go along with whatever the apparatus tells them. So that's that's a huge challenge. But they were able to get enough uh, enough independent and swing voters to, to believe that at some that's level. That's the part that's tough. And that, that's the part of it that really... And look, we have to face that. But there are people... You know, there are voters in Maricopa County. This is based on the exit polling. And I know they the machine shut down and they, they did the dirty tricks. We said they were going to do the dirty tricks. But there were independent voters. There were, you know, the... Uh, the kind of legacy McCain, geo, yes. you know, moderate GOP types who said, "Yeah, okay, maybe things are getting much more dangerous in Phoenix, but I, I can't, I can't vote for something that's going to be someone who's going to be a threat to our democracy." I mean, they they actually convinced themselves that that's more important. So we have to keep hammering this and 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 pointing out that first of all, there are a lot of lies around the criminal justice reform movement. I'm going to say it: Donald Trump shouldn't have gone along. With some of this criminal justice reform stuff, it actually did not help. It did not make things better. No one seems to want to have that conversation. I actually look at the data. I look at what's happened in the cities where they've instituted some of these policies and programs. And, you know, just the idea that we're locking up all these people for nonviolent, low-level drug offenses, that is not true. That's actually not happening. You have to move a lot of weight, and the notion that somebody who has a weapon while they're selling illegal drugs isn't connected to violent criminal activity why is the drug dealer on the corner carrying a glock in his pants it, it, it's not so he can just show it to his friends like th- we need to actually start being honest about what criminality really is in america and how it happens and also people need to understand the concept of pleading down to charges when somebody says oh this person's in jail because they uh you know they had uh, marijuana in possession or whatever first of all it might have been a lot of marijuana secondly they may have had four more serious charges that were maybe violent in nature, and they pled down to the less serious of those charges so that it seems as if they have been convicted of a serious crime only relating to marijuana, when the four things they did on top of that is actually why they have pled to the crime. And if you really want to know what, what hypocrites they are and what frauds they are on this issue, you look at the way that big city DAs, all Democrats, Democrat of New York, Democrat in Philadelphia, Democrat in Chicago, the big city DAs, Constantly talking about how we need stricter gun laws. But then when people have illegal firearms, and not because they were going quail hunting on the weekend, okay? We're not talking about somebody with a side-by-side who's going after some pheasant on the weekend and haven't registered their weapon or something. We're talking about gangbangers with handguns. And what do the big city DAs say? Oh, we don't want to ruin this young man's life by charging him with a serious crime, even though... He's maybe a felon in possession of the firearm, a crime on top of a crime. In Philadelphia, they're letting more than half of illegal gun crimes go. But they think an assault rifle ban is going to, you know, I, I got news for anybody who doesn't know this, whether it's in New York or Philly or any major city, they're not actually shooting each other overwhelmingly. I mean, less than 1% of the time with an AR, with a rail system and an ACOG on top. No, they're pulling out a pistol and they're shooting people. 
and they don't prosecute them. I mean, I, I, even though it didn't have the impact that it should have in this midterm, we, we need to keep talking about this issue so people, one, understand, you know, maybe it's time to make some different decisions about where you want to be, whether you're in a city, in certain states. That's another part of this, too, because I don't think it's going to I think the mechanisms for improvement aren't sound enough that people won't have to suffer through this uh, for for years to come. I, I think I think New York has, has got maybe four or five more years of downtrend here before people wake up. You know what I woke up on this morning, Clay? My Giza Dream Sheets. Me They're too. Amazing. They're fantastic. I Not love your Giza, Giza, Giza Dream Sheets, but the same product in a different state. Giza Dream Sheets are fantastic. I got the My Slippers. I got the My Pillow products all over the place because Mike Lindell doesn't need Black Friday or Cyber Monday to offer great prices. He's hooking you up constantly because he appreciates you, the customers of his great company, your fellow patriots. He wants to give you the best products at the best prices. That is the mandate for my pillow. That's why it's become such an amazing company. The Giza Dream Sheets are available in multiple colors, sizes, and styles. They wash so well, they get softer and more comfortable over time. They're a great value. And the Giza Dream Sheets right now are at their lowest price ever. Prices start at $29.99 with the promo code CLAYANDBUCK. All my pillow products come with a 10-year warranty. And this holiday season, they're extending their 60-day money-back guarantee. Go to MyPillow.com, click on Radio Listener Specials. Make sure you use that promo code Clay and Buck. Giza Dream Sheets at $29.99, folks. Get a pair. Actually, get two or three pairs so you can keep rotating them or put them on all the beds in your house. MyPillow.com, promo code Clay and Buck. Easy to find. Easy to define. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton speaking the truth three hours every day. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. 
This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my from this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are ready to continue to fight for freedom on all fronts uh, as we return from Thanksgiving. And uh, we certainly hope that your travel went well, that your family and friends are all doing fantastic, and that you were able to spend some time thankful to live in the greatest country that has ever existed in the history of the world. As we progress, unfortunately, craziness, zaniness, insanity continues to reign on the left wing in this country, Buck. And we played in advance, and thanks to Buck for sitting in on Friday. I know many of you were listening uh, as you were still working, and certainly a lot of you didn't get time off. I was up in uh, in Ohio, in Columbus, met a lot of fantastic Clay and Buck listeners uh, who are both Michigan and Ohio State fans. Had a fantastic time up at that game, but everybody behind the scenes and the Fox Sports production crew working. I know that many of you were working throughout the holiday season as well, so thank you for everyone who kept the country rolling and managed to not get a uh, a break, and, uh, and we certainly are thankful for all of you and everything that you do for us. But, Buck, I know we played Dr. Fauci's final goodbye from the White House, and the long goodbye has continued. And to me, the biggest story coming out of the weekend is in protests that are occurring right now in China. And those protests are against COVID lockdowns. Uh, while much of the world has moved on, China has remained committed to the draconian Dr. Fauci-led idea, effectively. This is what Fauci would have done if he had had total control in America of COVID zero. And finally... Uh, that is the idea that anytime you have COVID positive cases, you shut down entire areas. Buck, we played the audio, if you remember, felt very dystopian of the drones that were flying around telling people basically to abandon all hope and remain. I believe that was in Shanghai. Do uh, not do down. not give in to your heart's desire for freedom yes. was what the drones were saying. Yes. And, and so you and I and everybody out there knows that protesting in America Oh, you get to go on social media and put up a hashtag and put up a flag and, oh, you're so heroic. You're a social justice warrior. If anything, it helps your overall credibility. It certainly doesn't, by and large, harm you, especially if you're engaged in left-wing protest. In China, things are different. It requires a lot more bravery. And many people in China right now are out in the streets and they are holding up white sheets of paper to symbolize uh, a belief in freedom of speech, and an attack on censorship from the Chinese government. And we're going to play you some audio, but I just want you to think about this, Buck, because it puts our friends on the left wing in this country in an incredibly untenable position. Because either they have to condemn the Chinese communist government for not allowing people to make basic decisions about their personal autonomy, their freedom in their life, or... They have to acknowledge 
that also COVID lockdowns, COVID shutdowns didn't work because there are many people in this country, including Dr. Fauci, who still point to China as an example of a country that got everything, in their opinion, right about COVID. They envy the idea of lockdowns, of shutdowns, of of barricading people inside their homes and not allowing them to leave until the virus is snuffed out. And so it has become increasingly untenable, even places like New Zealand and Australia, which were police states in many ways uh, associated with COVID, have abandoned this idea. And now China is standing alone. So your thoughts as you watch these protests emerge, Buck, and also on their degree of untenability in terms of the challenges they put forward for the lockdown proponents like Fauci, who still would shut down this country. I mean, I'm not hopeful, as some are right now, that this is going to be the end of Xi Jinping, that this is going to overthrow the communist regime. Authoritarian, truly authoritarian governments, not semi-wannabe like we had here during COVID, but the real deal, which certainly communist China is, they spend most of their time and energy and security resources on that issue of how do we stay in charge no matter what they're not worried about elections they're not worried it's just how do we stay in charge so it's very very hard you've seen this for decades now in iran you know every time and the iranians recently even were out in the streets protesting and every time there's a moment we say oh wouldn't it be great if this was the time that the iranian mullahs that the theocracy uh, of iran was gone and it and it so far it's been you know since 1979 has has it hasn't happened so I'm not hopeful that this will be, I should say, I don't expect. Hope is one thing, but expecting is another. Uh, but the Biden administration response to this for a lot of people should be eye-opening uh, because exactly what you were just saying and what we have been saying here now uh, for the entire time we've been doing this show together is that the Democrats, if they could have gotten away with much more severe lockdowns, they would have pushed much more severe lockdowns that they thought the Chinese and even Australian, the Australian version was just the lighter version of what they did in China. But in Australia, they were sending people to quarantine camps, all idiocy. Every public health official, every doctor, every government employee who did that should feel ashamed, but they don't. But the Biden administration, Clay, I mean, let's remember the reason the protests really broke out um, and, you know, what, it, what, what got sparked them, if you will, in this case. The reason that these protests are happening is that they've been under lockdown for months. COVID is at a all-time high in some regions of China in terms of cases. And they just had 10 people burned to death in a quarantined building, effectively quarantined, in Xinjiang province in the west of China. They weren't allowed to leave the building, there are reports. It was, oh, your building's on fire, stay in the building. And when that sort of thing happens... People have to wake up, no matter how dense the propaganda has been. And in that environment, here is what the Biden... Did you see this, what the Biden White House put out? Yeah, it's, un, it's it, tepid and flaccid and weak, like we would expect from them. We've said, this is the Biden White House, that zero COVID is not a policy we pursue here in the United States. And as we've said, we think it's going to be very difficult for the People's Republic of China to be able to contain this virus through their zero COVID strategy. For us, we are focused on what well, what works, and that means using the public health tools like yada, yada, yada. That's the best they can do. China is a giant, look, you know, it's a giant virus concentration camp, effectively, right now, in some parts of it. They're just herding people into homes. If you leave, you go to prison, and perhaps worse. And the best the Biden administration can do is, well, that's not what we're doing here. It's almost like 
Biden doth protest too much. Like, well, yeah, we know you're not doing that here, but you kind of want to, don't you? Yeah, and let's remember, Dr. Fauci said earlier this year that he was in in favor of what China had done for their renewed lockdowns. This is a flashback. Listen to Fauci praise China. This is cut two. Their complete lockdown, which was their approach, a strictest lockdown that you'd never be able to implement in the United States, although that prevents the spread of infection. And remember, early on, they were saying, and I think accurately, that they were doing better than almost anybody else. But lockdown has its consequences. You use lockdowns to get people vaccinated so that when you open up, you won't have a surge of infections. The problem is that the vaccines that they've been using are not nearly as effective as the vaccines that are used in the United States, the UK, EU, and other places. That's so, not even true, by the way. Yeah. The side note, I mean, how, how, how much better is our vaccine than theirs, Clay? Well, ours doesn't work, so not that much better. And, and also, let's note what Fauci is doing there. He's changing the, re- the, the rationale for lockdowns. We locked down. People forget this. But it was 15 days to stop the spread. The idea was we were going to keep, if, if, if you can get, take yourself back so far into the past to remember the initial rationales, because they changed the storyline so much in every aspect, 15 days to stop the spread, if I'm remembering correctly, Buck, was only about keeping our hospitals from getting overwhelmed. Yes. That was the pitch that they made was we have to do this because otherwise we won't be able to serve everyone. You know how in some of these uh, true crime shows and other things, they'll talk about instances where they'll show that somebody at gunpoint or whatever it may be got into the trunk of the car. And anybody will tell you, any law enforcement fresh, anybody will tell you the moment they say get in the trunk of the car, it's You're go done. time. You, yep. you, it, you know, if you have to take a bullet in the shoulder, if you, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You never get in the trunk because then you are utterly helpless and they may just leave you in the trunk. You know, it's, it's horrible, right? But you just, you never get in the trunk. 15 days to slow the spread was the American people getting in the trunk. Then the Fauciite apparatus had us. We were at their whim. We had already given in. They could extend it. They could drive us to a second location and a third location. They could do whatever they wanted to us. And that's why they sold it under those false pretenses. They never really I don't believe that Fauci and Burks really thought it was ever going to be 15 days. The more I thought about this, it was just come on, just just this one time. You can trust me. Just get in the trunk. I promise I don't want to hurt you. We got in the trunk. It was the wrong move. And I fell for it, too. And so far as I figured, look, 15 days, they say the hospitals are all going to be overrun. As soon as we had the data that showed that hospitals were never overrun, this was never a thing that even happened. Not once. Not once. And, and and Buck, you were in New York at the time. I obviously was here in Nashville. So many people that that is the biggest flaw of the Trump administration. Okay, if you want to go back, and I and Buck did, and we all agree that Trump did a lot of really good things for this country in four years. His acquiescence, his willingness to go along with fifteen days to stop the spread, essentially put in place the lockdown apparatus that never really left in many parts of the country for years. Um, and I saw the other day where Gavin Newsom, did you see this tweet from Gavin Newsom? Because I increasing, I know he said he's not going to run in 2024. Oh, and, I was going to bring and, that up a little bit later. Clay. Yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk about that. But I saw this tweet from Gavin Newsom 
and I just, I mean, it, I didn't respond to it, but I have it in my drafts. Gavin Newsom said that the Republican version of freedom, ban books, limit speech, live in fear of gun, gun violence, take away your health care decisions. Gavin Newsom arrested people for paddleboarding in the ocean, Buck. He removed rims from basketball goals, put crime scene tape up on playgrounds, and filled in skate parks with sand. I just hit reply finally. I remember that I had saved that in drafts. But there's been no reckoning. And when we come back, I want to play the audio maybe a little bit later in this hour because we need to. I, I think this is so significant. Fauci was doing his continued media availability. Hopefully, he's going to ride off into the sunset somewhere. And I, I, I would be happy if that could happen literally, by the way, uh, because he's not going to go to jail probably, but that's where he belongs. Uh, but if, if Fauci and all of the Fauciites, are refusing to acknowledge that they got anything wrong. There's no reckoning. But more importantly, it means they still are empowered to potentially try this again if another variant of COVID emerges. Yeah, of course. They're they're still talking about this again. People forget in the early days, I remember this in New York City because nobody was in their cars. There was a little bit of talk of, wow, imagine if we did these lockdowns for climate I remember yeah. people were talking about that. That wasn't some crazy theoretical. It was, oh, imagine if we could all unite to save the world from climate. They're not done with this. And by the way, on the Gavin Newsom thing, it really is like he read 1984 and took all the wrong lessons from it, or maybe all the right lessons because he just wants to be a tyrant. Uh, freedom is slavery. War is peace. Peace is war. I'm flipping things around. California is the totalitarian nanny state future of America if the libs are not held in check. And he acts like they're pro freedom. It's complete. It's completely insane. And and COVID is just one just one example of this. Let's let's come back. We'll do Fauci on opening up schools and whether whether they should. You know, he's not saying too much about too much. You know, Clay. He's kind of leaving. He's keeping his options open. He's also going to be on CNN and MSNBC, probably CBS News as a contributor. One of them after he leaves, guaranteed. They're not done with, no with the little Fauci doll. It's not too late, my friends, to get a better deal on your monthly cell phone bill. I know Black Friday just happened, but you can still save big bucks. You switch from Verizon, T-Mobile, or AT&T and save more than 50% every month when you sign on with Pure Talk. It's the cell phone company I've switched to and never given it a second thought because it has been phenomenal. Pure Talk operates on the same network and the same towers as the big guys, giving the same quality of service. Difference with Pure Talk is you're saving 50% or more every month because you're not paying for retail stores or fancy sponsors. What you do get is unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. With that kind of pricing, the average size family on a Pure Talk plan is saving almost $1,000 a year. Switch today and save 50% off your first month and get 30 days risk-free. Switching can take just 10 minutes with Pure Talk's U.S.-based customer service team. Using your cell phone right now, dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck, and you'll save 50% off your first month. Again, dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck, and make the switch to Pure Talk. Truth-seeking, reality-telling, the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. We head now, great state of Missouri, Attorney General Eric Schmidt there. He will soon be the next senator from uh, the state of Missouri. We appreciate him spending time with us. And uh, Eric, you, soon-to-be senator, current attorney general, got Dr. Fauci for a seven-hour deposition. Now, I have read some of the coverage of this deposition, 
It appears that Fauci couldn't recall any details, uh, said he didn't remember very frequently. How would you uh, assess the seven-hour deposition? What did you learn? What did you think of Fauci? Take us into that experience. Yeah, so I guess the best way to describe it is for somebody who proclaimed that, you know, I am the science, um, uh, you know, his middle name was I don't recall. That would probably be the best way to describe it. Um, so a lot of, for somebody who, you know, the seminal moment of his career uh, where, you know, he, he sort of ushered in this COVID tyranny, there was a lot of things that, uh, that he didn't quite recall. But there were some um, really interesting, I think, things to unpack from the deposition. One, uh, if you start with the sort of the outbreak, right, and um, uh, when people start to learn about this, he becomes aware of it. I think he's very sensitive to gain-of-function research. There was not supposed to be gain-of-function research. People were kind of pulling away from that, but certainly gain-of-function research was being funded uh, by NIH at the Wuhan lab, right? And so almost immediately, um, they go into spend mode to discredit that. So he, on February 1st, for example, February of 2020 is kind of the big month where uh, they move very quickly uh, to discredit the lab leak theory, even though there's a lot of evidence to suggest that that's actually what happened, that this didn't come from some animal reservoir. But he saw at least five drafts, five drafts of a study that seeks to debunk it, acted like he was sort of unaware of it, not a part of um, this process, but he's on podcasts in February calling it conspiracy theory. He's, he's already kind of poisoning the well of the, of, of the lab league theory. And you can only surmise, right? Because he knew that this would come back on him. And it certainly couldn't have been the lab league theory because we were funding gain of function research. And it's also very clear that, uh, the Wuhan lab didn't have, uh, the proper security protocols to be doing this. And that's, I think, another reason why they would have sought to dismiss the lab leak theory as a conspiracy theory. And then that, of course, leads into the, you know, the, the reason why we got the deposition in the first place is we are alleging in our lawsuit that big government was colluding with big tech to censor speech. And that means Fauci's office, his communications team, is working with big tech platforms to deplatform people, to censor content. And that's kind of the overarching theme of the lawsuit. But getting these facts, into evidence is really important. So you got the you got the lab leak. Um, he sends over one of his chief chief lieutenants, Doctor Lane, goes over with a WHO crew in February. Comes back um, lauding, complimenting the Chinese extreme lockdown measures. And so this is something that Fauci supported. You see everything that's happening right now in China. But I think it's interesting to note the timing of all this. They were very supportive of the most extreme kind of lockdowns you could possibly have, which of course were a disaster to the extent we had them, would have been even worse if we had what was going on in China where people locking people in their homes. And I think one other thing to note is on the masks. I mean, in the deposition, he is, in 2020, he is emailing a friend of her of his telling her that masks are ineffective. That's, you know, in February. March 31st, this is confirmed with a bunch of different studies. On April 4th, he proclaims that masks are necessary mandates follow, lives are ruined, and COVID tyranny is born. So I think what's true in this seven-hour deposition, in between the I don't recalls, uh, there's some really important information about what he knew about the lab leak, the steps he took to discredit that, what he knew about masks, the steps he took to gain more power and control as the guy in the white coat dictating to 
300 plus million Americans how they should live their lives. It's very concerning stuff. Uh, but we did get some meaningful information. Out yeah. Of that. Okay. Ag Schmidt, I'm wondering what what did you find about the actual collusion on that side? Have you said that's the basis for the for the website colluding with social media? Yeah. Co- I'm sorry for the lawsuit website colluding with social media companies to censor freedom of speech. Right. What What have you gotten on that front? We were just talking about. It looks like there could be a major escalation against free speech by Apple, the company, the global behemoth. Um, in the midst of Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter, what did you find when it comes to collusion between the Biden administration and big tech on the issue of COVID? Yeah, so one of the things that's interesting about this lawsuit is typically what had happened, people had filed lawsuits against the social media companies. Those lawsuits always ended up in the Northern District of California, never to be, never to see the light of day. Our lawsuit that we filed against the Biden administration is unique because we're suing the government. We're suing basically the Biden administration for colluding with the tech, which is why we've been able to, you know, they're essentially outsourcing their censorship. So there's a couple of interesting things that have come to light. One, there were weekly censorship meetings with the Biden administration, key officials with these social media platforms. I mean, weekly calls about who to censor and what content to censor. There was a special portal uh, that these that the, the government had to go directly to you know, Twitter and Facebook, there's a high-ranking Facebook official that was text messaging the Surgeon General of the United States saying, hey, we did what you wanted us to do. What more can we do to censor speech? This all kind of came to light. We filed this lawsuit in May around the time, you know, this Ministry of Truth, this Orwellian effort was kind of becoming more, um, more known. But there's a lot of information out there that we've discovered through the written discovery in this lawsuit of what they've actually done. And here with Fauci in particular, his communications team, his office is working directly with Instagram and, and Twitter to take down accounts. Now, what, whatever you think about social media platforms being able to do that on their own, I mean, that's highly suspicious in the first place. But one thing we know for certain, the government can't do that, right? The First Amendment protects the government from, you know, outsourcing this, what would normally be illegal to private companies, and that's exactly what was happening. That's what we're uncovering in the lawsuit, and that's what led us to the deposition of Anthony Fauci. Where does this go? So uh, I'm glad that you filed the lawsuit. You're moving to the Senate soon. So you have a seven-hour deposition with Anthony Fauci. Buck and I have been covering this for years. We have zero doubt that there's been massive colluding just based on our own experience, but also in, our, in, in the backgrounds and the stories and the people we've talked to, massive collusion since COVID started between big tech and uh, and big government. Not to mention Joe Biden's in office probably because of that collusion, not allowing the Hunter Biden laptop story from the New York Post to be spread in, in October of 2020. Where does this all go? What's, what's the outcome that to you would be an ideal one what's an outcome that would be a good one for people out there listening to us right now what should they anticipate could come from this lawsuit well preventative measures to make sure this never happens again one an injunction to make it stop and two it could be like when we we filed the remain in mexico lawsuit guys and that was so all those reports about you know the number of illegal immigrants coming in seeking asylum that information only became public because of our lawsuit. The injunction that we got, it forced them to actually come clean and be more transparent. That's one thing that could come of all this. It's interesting that you mentioned, by the way, um, the, the, uh, the Hunter Biden laptop story. Our next big deposition is with the FBI agent who has bragged about working with social media platforms on the Hunter Biden laptop story. So that's the next piece to this. So at a minimum here, I think exposing all of this, 
is should be shocking. And I don't care what your I mean, I'm obviously a conservative Republican, but whatever your political stripe is, this ought to scare the bejesus out of everybody in this country, everybody in this country, that these kind of tactics are being used by the government to work with some of the biggest companies on the planet to make sure your voice is never heard. I mean, that's I'm what re- this is, you know, we're uncovering, and I think get a good resolution here. We're talking to a, uh, Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, soon to be a uh, senator from Missouri. I'm reading Julie Kelly, who is a friend of the show. She's been on with us a lot. She tweeted uh, about five hours ago, uh, and this is a quote from a report. The court reporter transcribing the deposition sneezed. Fauci stopped the deposition, scolded the court reporter. What's wrong with you? Do you have some sort of respiratory illness? Because in the era of COVID, I'm concerned about being near you. Did that happen? It did. And I, and I should have led with that because it's actually unbelievable. Um, he wanted the court reporter to wear a mask because she sneezed. She said that she had allergies. And if you think about that, guys, the mentality in November of 2022 that somebody would sneeze and a person in his position would want them to wear a mask, that person who, who has that kind of disposition was in charge of shutting down our schools and forcing kids to wear a mask. I mean, it was very revealing. It was almost like an out-of-body experience to watch this happening in that room. But that's absolutely true. It did happen. I tweeted about it, I think, on Friday or Saturday. Uh, and it just goes to show, I think, the mentality. And like I said, all of this COVID tyranny was born from these folks who basically knew what happened at the Wuhan lab. They knew masks didn't work, but they stood out there because they wanted more and more power and control, and it devastated livelihoods and lives along the way. A.G. Schmidt, appreciate you being with us. Thanks so much. Anytime, guys. You know, Clay, no matter how my day is going, you know what I got going for me? I'm sitting in a really comfortable chair, man. You can see it right behind me, the X chair. It's amazing, and it looks good, too. X chair's biggest sale of the year is happening now, today, and it's your last day to save $600 off the most comfortable, amazing office chair on the market today. With a deal this good, you could get X chairs for everybody on your Christmas list. I actually just got my dad an X chair. He loves his. X chair is offering up to $600 off, including a free heat and massage unit, but only now through the end of today, Cyber Monday. So you got to act now. This isn't going to last today. Don't miss this chance to buy the most luxurious, most comfortable, supportive, ergonomic, amazing office chair. Save up to 600 bucks. You deserve this chair. Think of how many hours a day you spend in your office chair. Your back, your body, they deserve it. Well, they're part of you, but they deserve it too. Both Clay and I have one in our homes. I've got one in my studio right now. I'm sitting in my X chair as I speak to you. Remember, this incredible deal is only available now through the end of today. So if you want to save up to $600 on your X chair and receive a free heat and massage unit, go to xchairbuck.com. That's the letter X, chair buck.com xchairbuck.com today save up to six hundred dollars but you gotta act today he's buck sexton he's clay travis together they're breathing sanity into an insane world more than a movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, 
the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. This newspaper headline, Opening the Gates of Hell. That might be a subtle clue that you're not getting an unbiased report, but that's how the latest decision by Elon Musk is described in a Washington Post news story. With that quote from a Harvard instructor who also says Apple and Google should consider booting Twitter off the App Store. Pluck for the headline. Elon Musk made clear from the start he's a free speech advocate who would end permanent bans in most cases. And most journalists prefer the old rules, which usually penalize conservatives. Now, Musk is fair grain for criticism. But how about a token effort to include a couple of voices who don't think he's taking us all to hell? Howie Kurtz, just calling it like it is on the Twitter situation. Uh, welcome back to Clay and Buck. I, I think this is really important um what you're seeing right now is the first time from the the flotilla of lib propaganda online one ship has finally switched its flag and not even to the right it's just neutral if you will to free speech and clay he he laid out something there are already some rumors about this uh where apple may decide apple has already pulled we talked about this and elon musk has called them out Pulled advertising from Twitter. So the Twitter that was willing to allow the Iranian mullahs to have their accounts, you know, Hamas could keep its account. Taliban. You know, it, Taliban can get that, that, that was all okay. But, you know, Alex Berenson, Jordan Peterson, and former President Trump, that's where Apple 
draws the line when it comes to advertising. But the notion that they may try to do to Twitter what they did to Parler was raised here. Now that Elon has bought this for $44 billion and seems to be... There's no reason for him not to see through the mission, right? I mean, why take on the headache if you're not going to really do this? Clay, they mentioned blocking Twitter from the App Store. Now what you're seeing, you know, you you kind of, you know, when you're you're bringing down a cartel, you find, you know, first you get the street dealer, and then you find the regional distributor, and then you go back and maybe you find the mule that brought it to the regional distributor, and then you find, and you go all the way up to... You know, the, uh, the Don Corleone, the Scarface, the, the head of the criminal organization, the head of the cartel. Who is the little, the guy, uh, he's kind of a little guy. El Chapo. You know, you go find El Chapo. Um, this is similar in this case. We're working our way up through the architecture of propaganda and control online for the left. What you're finding is that even if you take the Twitter piece out, what stands above Twitter in the digital hierarchy of the left, Apple. Well, this is why they, they control think, they control Buck, the infrastructure and the architecture. This is why what happened to Trump was so important in terms of him being shut down simultaneously by every social media company, but also what happened to Parler. Because when they shut down Parler and when they shut down the ability for many different quote-unquote right-wing companies to be able to even reach their audiences that was a test basically of the structure that they had built that would disallow anyone who might share an opinion that they don't like to even be able to have those opinions distributed and what's fascinating to me about elon is he is creating i think this is a calculated choice by him to be tweeting about apple pulling their advertising he's creating a big tech battle Because a lot of these companies that are big tech, you know what they did, Buck? They kind of avoided competing, right? Google had its lane. Apple has its lane. And they may not be best friends, but they're really not competing. They have their own monopoly. If you go on right now your laptop or your computer screen, Google basically owns search. If you use a iPhone or a, I should say, mobile phone, but the fact that the iPhone is branded to such an extent, who's a competitor of Apple right now, Buck? Like, in a real way, Google, Android, I guess, maybe. There's not really a brand that is, in any way, really big competitors with Apple. I would argue, if you look at what happened with Kanye West with his shoe being pulled from Adidas, if you look at the way that Apple's behaving, there is a recipe and a market right now for a right-wing version of Apple. And what Elon Musk is trying to do is go right down the middle with Twitter And what he's learning, Buck, is if you go right down the middle, that's considered right-wing now. You have to be so far left-wing in order to be firmly in the left-wing camp now, whether it's Hollywood, whether it's uh, tech, all these companies, that if you just say, hey, we're going to go right down the middle and apply even standards, that's not permissible. How did we get to a point in American society where the most powerful companies and the companies that control more communication and flow of information than anything else on earth would think that Jordan Peterson saying that, you know, men should aspire to be men and masculinity isn't toxic. That is too dangerous for society. He should not be allowed to say that. And we could go down the list of all kinds of people. But 
I keep seeing these videos of 10-year-olds, 8-year-olds putting dollar bills in the, you know, areas of, uh, you know, around the waistband of drag, of, of, yeah. of drag queens. Um, how do you get to that? The way you get to that point, unfortunately, is with absolute behind-the-scenes left-wing dominance of our communications infrastructure. You and I, very luckily, exist because we have radio. We have over 450, give or take, radio stations, our affiliates that carry us. So that's not, that's not subject to the whims of the, you know, the wokeness of the blue-haired, unhappy, and vicious left wingers who are running all this stuff um but what we're seeing yes no, no, it's a, it's such a great point we should mention iheart covers every aspect of politics if if you want to get left wing politics like our company our parent company covers everything what you're hitting at is there's a calculated decision to not serve certain markets and even take the next step beyond serving that market and say you're not allowed to even distribute that content, which is the next level, and that is incredibly should be scary to anyone out there. I mean, imagine that that our our national political conversation, and people say, "Oh, but what about Fox News?" Oh, well, okay, yeah, that's when you when you if you're looking at news organizations and social media platforms, the right, which is half the country, gets about five percent of the pie. We're at about 5%, maybe 10% of the overall pie when you add, because remember, it's not just, it's not just the websites you know super well. It's all the other websites. It's all the YouTube influencers and TikTok influencers. It's not just MSNBC and CNN. It's PBS. It's NBC News. You go down the list. They achieve this level of dominance and they also have behind the scenes the false perception of platform parody. Which has been so essential, you know. There's there's three different forms, Clay, of of uh, of propaganda that people generally talk about, right? There's white propaganda, which is you know what it is, you know where it comes from, right? You and me saying we love this candidate or whatever. You could argue that's white propaganda, but you know where it is. Gray propaganda is when it's just of unknown origin, right? They drop leaflets out of the sky that say vote so and so. And then what they would refer to as black propaganda is when you're actually lying about the source of it, right? So I'm pretending to be someone on MSNBC, and I'm telling people what to do. The social media platforms, in part, have been so powerful because they've been operating under the lie that they aren't doing what they're doing. And this is the part of it that I think everyone's really seeing on Earth right now. Yeah, you know CNN is liberal. Yeah, you know MSNBC is liberal. But Google and Facebook and, you know, which obviously Google owns YouTube, all these different platforms, they became monopolists by saying we're not doing the thing that you think we're doing. It's insidious what they have done. And Elon is exposing them right now, which means, Clay, they're not going to let this go. They can't. It threatens well, their power too much. And I'll just say this as we go to break and, prefer, and, and we're about to hit you with an ad read. Apple and Google would not advertise on this program. I mean, just think about it. They wouldn't. If Apple and Google had uh, an outreach program, they wouldn't advertise on this program because they don't respect all of you and your political opinions. If Buck and I were doing a left-wing show, left-wing version of this show, they would spend money hand over fist with us at Apple and Google to be able to reach a much smaller audience 
just because they would say we respect that audience that, that, that we were trying to talk to if we were on the left wing. Yeah, I mean, Clay, we could just like sit here, man, and be like, yo, there truly are 37 genders, and real socialism has never been tried, and maybe we just send that clip, you know? Oh, men don't have an advantage in sports, so what if that guy's 6'4", 240? Like, he sure, you know, maybe we send that clip to Apple and be like, hey... Give us some advertising dollars, you jerks. Just think about that. It's a calculated decision, and it's happening all over the country, and Elon Musk is disrupting that calculation. He's got the resources to be able to fight the battle. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but just think about it. It's going to be messy, and we finally got somebody who's willing to fight that battle. To your point, Buck, Rupert Murdoch has been. But if Rupert Murdoch didn't exist, there would not be uh, really on... Uh both newspapers and television media, a counterpunch to the mainstream media. We at would all. be we with without Rush, Rupert Murdoch, uh, and you know, and a few other. We would be to the left of Canada politically right now. It would already no have doubt. happened, and the whole country would have locked down. Think about how scary that is. The Fauci would have won. Small business owners are taking advantage of a little publicized tax refund from the IRS. If your business has five or more employees and you made it through the COVID mess. You could be eligible to receive a payroll tax rebate of up to $26,000 per employee. Not a loan, no payback. It's just a refund of your taxes. How do you get your business this refund money? Go to GetRefunds.com. They're tax attorneys, specialists in this little-known payroll tax refund program. They'll do all the work, no charges up front. Just share a percentage of the cash they get with you. Businesses of all types can qualify, including those who took PPP, nonprofits, even those that had increases in sales. The team at GetRefunds.com has already returned over a billion dollars to businesses. They can help you as well. Just go to GetRefunds.com, click on Qualify Me, answer a few questions. Their payroll tax refund only available for a limited amount of time. Don't miss out. Go to GetRefunds.com. No risk, high reward. GetRefunds.com. Subscribe to CNB 24-7 and never miss a minute of Clay and Buck while getting behind-the-scene access to special content for members only. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.